through the Bible Sunday nights, chapter by chapter, book by book. We are in the Psalms, in the Psalms, Psalm 33. We are starting off this evening. Okay, let's pray. Father, I just pray that you make us worshipers and the Psalms, Lord, an instruction book you have given us to make us worshipers and that's who we want to be. Lord Jesus, you say that in your word that the Father is seeking those uh, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And before us, uh, we have what it means to be a worshiper. We pray by your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You bring us to that place, Lord, where we are worshipers. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 33, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And so, the book of Psalms, an instruction manual, a workbook on worship given to us for inspiration to worship, instruction to worship, exhortation to worship. What can I practically do to worship God? It's in the book of Psalms. Verse 1 says, praise from the upright is beautiful, it says. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Verse 2, praise the Lord with the harp. Just turn to last psalm. It's also praise the Lord from about 15 other instruments. But um, repeated over and over and over again in the psalms, praise the Lord. does lead to the question sometimes you hear skeptics ask why on earth does the Lord need praise is he an egomaniac he has been accused of that the Lord has is he in heaven saying somewhere oh praise me because I'm up here and I'm feeling insecure I need to be affirmed And when you call me all-knowing and all-powerful, it really builds up my self-esteem. When you say you love me, it, it makes me feel loved. No, none of that is true. God doesn't need our praise, but he knows something about us. He knows something about who we are. He knows that when a person becomes a worshiper, a man or woman becomes a person of praise. They develop a rare and rich beauty 
that is unparalleled in the world. A beauty like no other. The Bible says God makes all things beautiful in his time. The Lord desires to do something beautiful in you. And he does that by making you a worshiper. Again, verse 1, praise from the upright is beautiful. Our culture obsessed with beauty, right? Billions and billions of dollars every year on beauty products. We do stuff, we buy things, we do workout programs to try to make ourselves look better. We go through all kinds of motions and commotions. Unbelievable pressure to look beautiful with all kinds of just awful consequences. To, the, to society, many consequences of which society is very much aware of. Bulimia, anorexia, people, um, you know, y young girls cutting themselves. I actually grew up with a young lady who, who, who would just rip her hair out. She later uh, be became a model. <laughs> And a successful one for a while, but, but just all kinds of pressure. And it seems like even though the world's very well aware of, of, the, of the dangers, the, you know, society had almost a generation of depressed young ladies going into their doctors asking for antidepressant medication. But it only gets more intense. Second, why Second Timothy uh, three verse one actually quoted it this morning? In the last day, men will become lovers of self. And so Madison Avenue in downtown Manhattan knows this. It uses if you use these products, it says you will. If you go to the gym, if you have this surgery, that makeup, this car. Those clothes, this perfume, if you wear this watch, I just don't know how it is. If you wear a watch, it'll make you beautiful, but, but they do, you know. <laughs> if you drive this car, you'll become fulfilled, thrilled, popular. And so we put beautiful men and women and we make them public icons and here's the amazing thing it is not unusual at all in fact I believe it's actually the norm that the very men and women who we have spent years putting on a pedestal because of their beauty they are also among the most insecure I heard about an interview of one celebrity, a woman widely known for a long time because of her beauty. She's was getting a little older, into her 40s. She was interviewed, and she was lamenting the culture, just obsessed with beauty. And she was very transparent for that. I, I certainly respect her. She says, as I've grown older, every time I go into an event, I walk in and scan the crowd to see if there is someone prettier than I. And if there is... 
it causes feelings in me that are really ugly. I appreciate her, her honesty there. Envy, hatred, jealousy, the very thing that eats up a person, the very people you would think would be the most secure because they have it. They have what everyone else wants. It's not unusual for them to be the most insecure. I remember Madonna saying that every friend she has is an emotional cripple. This obsession with beauty on the outside destroys them internally, even as they're beautifying themselves externally. And it's just crazy things you hear. I, I mean, I, I, I don't even know whether to believe things uh, that, that, that you hear, but I heard that uh, about 14 years ago, there was a 900 number in London at, for, for a season. Was the, it was the most popular one uh, in Great Britain. And all you did w was, uh, all women did actually, was call this 900 number. And there was just a guy on the other side of the line going, you really, really are quite beautiful, you know. <laughs> and, that, and, that's, and, 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 you know, that kind, that kind of thing. And, and the, just women just being bombarded by what the body is supposed to be like in TV and movies and advertisements, just in everyday conversations. And U.S. News and World Report, secular magazine, one that I am not fond of at all, uh, by the way. Uh, but a couple years ago, um, put out an article on this, and I don't know what the percentage is this time, but at that time... Uh, the average girl loses her virginity in America before 15 years old. And although it's a secular magazine, it um, discussed at length why. And the reason it gave, because of the insecurity that the culture is putting on young ladies. They want to be affirmed that someone thinks they are beautiful. And they'll give themselves over to a male figure out of the vain hope that he is affirming their beauty. Now, I, of course, I, I, and I'm not sitting up here arguing to be ugly, you know, um, that that's a good thing and that it's wrong to keep yourself healthy and pretty. We need to be good stewards of our body. I've talked about that before. We need to bless our, our spouses and for singles, your future spouses, uh, J. Vernon McGee, uh, one of an, an old-time preacher and radio teacher, when asked by a woman, should a Christian woman wear makeup? He said, ma'am, if your barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not saying that... Um, I'm not saying that um, we ought not to exercise or paint the barn. What I am saying is this... <laughs> What's that, like an act tremor after the... Um, what, am I, what I'm saying is this, that culture has an upside-down view of what beauty is. What does God say about all this? Verse 1, rejoice in the Lord, all you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. There is something so attractive about a godly young lady. There's so, something so attractive, so sexy 
about a godly young man. A godly young lady or young man who is a worshiper, a praiser of the Lord. There's a beauty about them, a, a glow, a radiating. Skip over to Psalm uh, 34. Love this verse, verse 5, Psalm 34. They looked to him and were radiant. A kind of beauty you're not going to see on People Magazine or uh, whatever most available bachelor thing, MTV. God is saying you want to be someone who is beautiful. You can be beautiful by being with me. Fascinating thing, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. You remember Adam and Eve uh, says that they were both naked and it says, and they were not what? Ashamed. They were not obsessed about their bodies, feeling bad about them, insecure, none of that. Something happened. They refused to believe in the goodness of God. And they fell. They rejected Him as, as the God of their own life. They wanted to be their own God. And, and, and when they fell, it says in verse 7 of chapter 3, and the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. So what did they do? What did they do? They covered themselves. The insecurity, the shame begins to set in. That's a pretty amazing thing, that the first result of the fall of man and woman and the choice to reject him was concerned about their bodies. That's powerful. Trying to clothe it or feeling insecure about it. A man before the fall was walking with the Lord. His glory was overshadowing them. They're not thinking about their body, being insecure about it, but the, the fall came and, uh, and they became body-obsessed. First Peter chapter 3, do not let your adornment, women, be outward, the arranging of your hair, the wearing of gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is so great to be able to perform the ceremony for Erica and Jerry last Saturday. I, you know, it's hard for me because I literally almost break down a half a dozen times uh, during the ceremony. But it's, it's um, I just see this couple before me and there's this woman and, and Erica, she just has that inward beauty. And it's just such a beautiful thing, just so attractive. And um, what a tragedy. What a tragedy in the church. Stephanie and I have a dear friend, Christians, raising their daughter. She's 15. She's just all messed up with anorexia, obsession with, with beauty. We need to be raising our children, being an example of this very thing that beauty comes from the inward person. You know, 
Jerry's standing there. Just such a beauty about him, about that brother. And just having these, uh, this, this man of God and this woman of God coming together. And there's just a mystery about the bride of Christ and marriage and uh, the whole thing going on there. And it's just so powerful. It's a tragedy what's going on. It's what's going on in the church, you know. I love what John Corson says about this kind of thing, First Peter chapter 3, meaning let your adornment uh, not be, uh, actually New King James adds merely, but it doesn't say merely, but do not let your adornments be merely outward, the arranging of your hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on fine apparel, but rather the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So if you have a valuable... Um, you get to have a Monet or whatever, very valuable painting. You don't frame it with neon lights so that everyone's looking at the frame. And ladies, that's not how you should be dressing with neon lights bringing a, uh, attraction to your frame. The Bible says it's the inward, incorruptible beauty. So your, your, whatever your frame is, your dress, it needs to be modest. And guys as well. So you ladies, you want to find a husband that's not a jerk, who's not going to rip you off and 10 years into your marriage go carousing after another sexual partner? Will you pray for a godly man? Men? a godly woman. The Bible says praise. The praise of the upright, verse 1, is beautiful. Is beautiful. Verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Right after last Sunday. Here we have it. A creationist Bible verse. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. It's so amazing in times of world crisis. See all these big old brains from all over the world getting together and huddling. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord uh, stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. On the way back from Washington, D.C., we went there um, the week before last, our family, and we listened to this audio on uh, this audio tape. You know, you can like listen to a whole book in your car type of deal. 
and it was the, the escape of John Wilkes Booth, uh, and it was a nine-hour book, and it was really just phenomenal. It really was, and um, John Wilkes Booth was the, the man who, he was a very, very well-known actor, so much that at the time that um, he killed Abraham Lincoln, he was, he, he was, he, he hid himself, basically escaped and hid himself uh, for about two weeks. But everyone knew, most everyone even knew what he looked like. And this was before TV and stuff. That's how well-known this guy was. He was a Hollywood guy, a partier, very vain, a carouser, uh, many, many women, you know, involved in his life. And um, listening to this whole, through this whole thing, this fascinating story about this guy escaping and I was just thinking, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And you may ask, well, what, what's the connection? Well, there was so, God was so much a part of people's lives, even John Wilkes Booth's life. In fact, the last two weeks of his life, he's talking repeatedly about the Lord in his diary, trying to justify himself before God. And... So even on the worst kind of villain, and he was just the vainest, really, as human beings are, um, he, he was your sort of classical, vain, uh, filled with pride, Hollywood kind of guy. Just had, though, a strong church background like everyone else did at the time. And I look at the nation today and I pray for revival because we're a, a long way from that. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his inheritance. Verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling. He looks of all the inhabitants of earth. He fashions their hearts individually, it says. So we go around and we talk about having a personal relationship with God. Jesus is your personal Savior. He doesn't sort of, in the, in the Middle Ages when uh, in Europe, there was a time where most of Europe knew nothing about Christianity or God, that Scandinavian countries were... Um, a bunch of Vikings who would show up on the coasts of Europe and just go into convents and monasteries and kill everyone. And uh, there were missionaries who went up into, into, into Scandinavia, and I, I think it was Norway, Sweden, uh, may have been Finland, may have been all, all of them, really. Denmark, you'd have a king say, okay, now... Everyone has to get baptized and become a Christian. And a whole country at the same time was ordered to become a Christian. But as we've talked about before, God doesn't save people a nation at a time. He does so in an individual at a time. And when he grows people up in the Lord, he does it uh, person by person by person. Verse 15, he fashions your heart individually. 
Verse 16, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse, horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Now this theme which is going to be over and over in the Psalms, so important. I don't want to get through the Psalms without each of you understanding the concept of waiting on God. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. What does waiting mean again? It means waiting on the realization of God's purposes for your life, understanding that the timing is in His hand. Waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. Waiting means being very active about the Lord's business, but waiting on His timing for whatever that ministry He's called you into, whatever that relationship He may have for you in the future, whatever that uh, calling is, that job, waiting for the Lord. Verse 21, For our heart shall rejoice in Him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. So David, he was intelligent in his head he was inflamed in his heart i will bless the lord at all times it's an act of the will to bless the lord what does it mean to bless the lord it means to confer happiness on a person or prosperity on a person god doesn't need our praise but he's happy with our praise so we bless I will bless the Lord at all times. It just means serving Him, worshiping with your life, and yes, calling upon Him and worshiping Him with your words. And it's an act of the will. It's not a feeling or an emotion. So if we only bless the Lord when we feel like it, we will never become the beautiful bride, the beautiful people that God wants us to become. You and I have to determine each day, are we going to bless the Lord or are we going to rob the Lord of the praise that He is due? And yes, the Lord generally, genuinely rather, delights in our praise. It brings delight uh, to His heart. Now notice it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. You know, there's a number of things that distinguish Christians from everybody else in the world, and this is one of them. At all times, rejoicing in the Lord. At all times. Many of you know Tony Marinelli. He has been right here on Sunday night in this pulpit about five times preaching here at Calvary Chapel in the city. And Stephanie and I visited him the week before last in his home. He's been struck with a rare disease. He's blind. He can't talk. 
On top of that, he has leukemia. He's been blind now for about five or six months. And, you know, I'm just with him, and he's continuing to bless the Lord through this experience. He'd rather be with the Lord. He'd rather be with God, obviously. In fact, three weeks ago, he had a fever of like 103 and a half or something like that. They rushed him to the hospital uh, in the Cape, and the, the doctor said, you have, your colon has a hole in it in five places, five holes in your colon, which any of you in the medical community know as soon as there's any kind of perforation or hole in, you know, your large intestines or whatever, and that stuff gets out into your body, how long do you have to live? Maybe a couple days? Something like that. I, I, I'm not sure. It's, it's certain death. They said, you have to go into emergency surgery tonight because you have five holes in your colon. If you don't, you're going to die. And emergency surgery mean, meant removing his colon and having sort of one of those bag deals for the rest of his life, you know, inserted in. And he said, no, <laughs> I'd rather be with the Lord. So he went home, and he was healed. <laughs> and so, you know, he was going back in this week, his his temperature vanished, uh, went right back down to normal, and for some reason, the Lord wants him to stay alive. And I was just telling him, Tony, I, I just hope you know what an encouragement you are and what a testimony you are to so many people. To be, you know, in the state you're in. Now, please, does he get discouraged? Absolutely. He does. But he's still praising the God for miracles. And he's seen the hand of the Lord more times in a, you know, in a week that many people don't see in a whole year. Just continually, we need to keep praying for him. But it's one of the things that makes Christians unique from everyone else in the Lord, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. And so you say, well, this must have been just a great time in David's life that he is able to, to talk like this. I will bless the Lord at all time. His praise will continually be in my mouth. and The humble shall hear of it and be glad. And so he must be in just this, the crest of a wave. No, he was actually at this point of his life, as you see by the heading there, he had been followed, King Saul was trying to kill him, been a number of years, he's going from place to place to place, he's exhausted, he is discouraged, and he goes into the land of the Philistines, he goes to Gath, and the king there, King Achish, welcomed him. The problem with Gath, though, is what? 
that's where Goliath was from. Probably a pretty good rule. Don't go to the city of where, you know, the champion uh, that you had uh, slain grew up in and that everyone knows. So the people started getting, uh, you know, appalled at the fact that this guy was in their city and it got to the point where they wanted to wipe him out. And that's when this psalm was written. I will bless the Lord at all times. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. And certainly this, there is a glow. We know that from the life of Moses who went up to the mountain 40 uh, days and there was a glow about him. He came back down um, after being with the Lord and he was glowing and uh, people were like, wow, Moses is glowing. And then he's, after a while, the glow started going away. So then he started going back uh, and just into his tent and just being with the Lord and the glow came back. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. I'll tell you a true story. On Thursday night, after I was in bed, it was like 12.30 or something like that, 12.15, we were sleeping. All of a sudden, we get a phone call and um, looked at the phone. Who was it coming in? It said private number, and I, I answer the phone, and all of a sudden, this like unbelievably loud, wicked loud, demonic screech comes out, and I think it may have to do with what happened here last Sunday. And it was not like a human being. It was like one of these dinosaur bird screeches, (laughs) you know, that you hear. But there was also a gurgling with it. It was just really, really creepy. And you're in your sleep, you know, hello. (laughs) And so, you know, I I hang up the phone, you know, whoever it was, a demon or someone who knew demons, you know, puts it, puts the phone down. And I just go back to my bed and I'm sitting there. And this verse came to my mind. It was whatever, 1230. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. So it was really cool. The next day when I was preparing this message, what verse do I see? And this is, needs to be a should be a comfort to you when you're, when fear comes into your heart. If you fear the Lord, a healthy fear of God, you can be assured that the angel of the Lord encamps around all who fear him. I've told this story before, but it bears mentioning, you know, other times. There's been a well-documented uh, story about some missionaries in Africa who <clears throat> who got word that they were going to be attacked by some tribe and 
And then one evening, the evening of the attack, they actually were able to look out and the, and the Indians from this tribe were coming and, and they were approaching the missionary houses and then all of a sudden, they, so they're seeing these Indians approach with their weapons painted up like they get and, uh, and um, then all of a sudden they stopped. So they were like this you know, with their spears rather than all of a sudden they stop and they started going like this and then they all ran off into the woods. And I don't know how much later they interviewed some of these Indians and said, well, why didn't you go in and attack? And they said in their language, well, they're, what do you mean why didn't we? There was these 20-foot high creatures guarding the houses this is an angel of the Lord encamping around those who fear him. It's real. It's real, the word of God is. Hebrews, we've been in the book of Hebrews. What is, was it, chapter 2 says that angels are ministering spirits to those who ha have been saved. They're, they, God has appointed uh, them to minister and help and guard us. It's real. The angel of the Lord encamps around all who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Notice the order there. Most of the time we want to see something before we taste it, right? But once you taste the Lord, then you see that he is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Psalm 23 says what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Meaning, everything I need for a life of blessing and godliness the Lord gives us. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions, verse 10, lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Now, as we've discussed before, sometimes I may have my own ideas what's good for me. You know, I may think, wow, you know, I think it would be good to get that promotion or I think it would be good to be uh, married in the next year or I think it would be good to... Uh, you know, be in, in a certain uh, ministry or, or whatever. But God knows what is good for us. And that's why we wait for the Lord and His timing. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 33, 20 says. Come you children, listen to me, verse 11 says. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And such an important thing, the fear of the Lord. Not, not the kind of fear that a child has, an irrational kind of fear a child has of an abusive parent. 
but the kind of fear that is healthy, that you know he's God, and you know he has appointed a way of life for us. Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrow the path that leads to life, and that he's holy. so many of the problems that we see in our nation today and I just think about Haiti and what Sue was talking about this morning the child slavery and a person who brings a kid into slavery a young child and then they call him the little beast as you heard Sue this morning do whatever they want because they own them her uh, the, the, the girls and, and, and the boys there's no fear of God there there's no fear of God. Fear of God is a tremendously healthy thing. Provided, of course, that it's a fear of God based upon who He is. He's a God who is love. He's filled with mercy. Verse 22 of Psalm 33 says, Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us. So verse 11, Come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, so important that we do teach our children the fear of the Lord, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. So how do you live out many days and see a lot of good. How are, how are you going to be blessed? Verse 13 is the answer. By keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Anybody want to sing that kid song for us? No, don't raise your hand. Maybe sometime later. But uh, there's a wonderful children's song uh, on that one. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The Bible's really clear. Book of James, First Peter. The Lord is opposed to the proud. So when you see a proud man or woman who's inside or out the church, the Lord is opposed to them. And you can know that. That's what the Word of God says. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as have a contrite here uh, spirit. It says, um, so it says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And how often it is the truth that when you have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, that God seems so far away. I think of Mary. After Jesus' death, she went to the tomb and she started weeping. She's having a conversation with Jesus, and she doesn't even know it's Jesus. Why? Because the brokenhearted 
and the crushed in spirit, verse 18, or the, uh, or the contrite or crushed spirit. I, I believe you can translate contrite, crushed there. It's one of the translations. Often, you know, because, because their heads or our eyes get so filled with tears and our emotions get so fogged up because of our weeping and our remorse, we can't sense that the Lord is near. But the Bible says the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And sometimes it, 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 it takes what happened to Mary. And what would she say? I, I forget what she said, but she said Mary. I think that's what she said, right? Mary. And, and she's like, Rabboni, it's you, Jesus, it's you. It takes the Lord saying, hey, I am near. I am near to you. Verse 20, he guards all his bones, meaning of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. So this is a messianic verse. Psalm 34, verse 19, quoted in John chapter 19. As it pertained to Jesus, remember many of the Psalms speak directly. I think the Psalms, uh, more than any other book of the Old Testament, uh, are quoted in the New Testament to refer to specific prophetic verses about the life of Christ. This is one of them. And of course, uh, we know that, I'm sure many of you have heard this many times, that um, Jesus was crucified with two thieves on his right and his left, or a thief on his right, another on his left, early on a Friday morning. Some people believe it's a Thursday, but they didn't want to have the bodies hanging on a tree during the Sabbath. It was like an unclean thing, and so the chief priests asked permission to bring the bodies down. They went to a Roman soldier went to one thief. He was still alive. They broke his legs. Why? Because you, as we, you, the people who are crucified stay alive by, the, the, by, by pushing themselves up so their lungs have room to breathe. And so as soon as you break the leg of a crucified person, they die within minutes because they can no longer breathe. Went to the second guy. He was also alive, broke his legs, but then the soldier went to Jesus and noticed that he was already dead. And the writer of John, who is John, uh, wrote, wrote, you know, quoted this uh, verse here, saying, so that it would be fulfilled that the Lord guards all his bones and not one of them is broken. A messianic uh, psalm here. Verse 21, evil shall slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Again, I just strongly recommend for your own devotion time to go through the Psalms. A Psalm a day will keep Satan away. And put yourself into the shoes of... Uh, of the psalmist, these are your words that you as a believer in Christ have the privilege of reciting as your own every single one of these words. 
I will bless the Lord at all times, even times of, you know, of great distress. Here, heard a a story about Thanksgiving I never knew in 1621. uh, You may know that Governor William Bradford, right here in the state of Massachusetts, down in Plymouth, declared the first day of uh, Thanksgiving and. Uh, if you remember the history of the pilgrims, I think they got here in the late fall of the year before, and about half of them died. Half of the pilgrims died in that first winter. And uh, but that summer, uh, a bumper the, a bumper crop came in, and as they approached winter, some of the people were like freaking out. Remember what happened last winter? We need to fast. But some other people said, no, we need to thank the Lord for what we just got. <laughs> and so Governor Bradford sided with the people who said, let's thank the Lord. Now I'm a big believer in fasting. But we should never be fasting when we should be praising God and thanking God. And so that's what they did. Praise the Lord at all times even sometimes in a place late November, the New England winter is coming on, fear starts gripping your heart, it's time to start praising him, thanking the Lord. So anyway, that's a great, uh, a great story. I will bless the Lord, verse 1, at all times. Okay, so this evening... Before we close in prayer, I just want to, uh, Dave, do you have the prayer request? I don't know how I do this. Sue gives it to me every Sunday, and I manage to lose it. 